0: Welcome to Spin It, a business podcast that takes you into the lives of some of today's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, game changers, athletes, and many more. On Spin It, we take a deep dive into the lives and journeys of our guests to deliver real, unfiltered, and unscripted conversations that will surely inspire hope and promote change. We focus not on their current success, but on the obstacles and challenges that they faced along the way that often doesn't get talked about. How they battled adversity getting up and being knocked down when all of the odds were stacked against them. Today is going to be a blast. I get to have a real and raw conversation with my great friend, Ahmed Imam. Not only is he a top 10 influencer on LinkedIn and ambassador to the Royal office, he is also an incredible presenter, host, content creator, and a social media guru, as well as a business consultant to high net worth individuals. His agency guides CEOs, executives, and high net worth individuals to build influence and visibility on LinkedIn. He is one of the best humans I've ever met, a great friend, father and husband. And now you get to hear us have a pretty cool conversation. Welcome to the show, Ahmad. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. I know it's a long time coming and I'm I'm glad to be here speaking to you.
0: Absolutely. So let's dive right in. I want to talk about your childhood. I want to talk about where you grew up. I want to talk about your mom and dad, your siblings, and how you were raised.
1: The way I like to describe myself is being a family man. So I mean, I have a very cheeky, almost six-year-old daughter. I have an 18-year-old stepdaughter. My wife inspires me every day. So I mean, my household is a big part of why I do what I do. But taking it back, I am Egyptian. So I, I have an Egyptian heritage. I was born in Egypt. My family family immigrated to Australia when I was just four years old, I could actually speak fluent Arabic at one point. Wow. (laughs) And uh, you probably can't tell by my (laughs) very Australian accent. Um, But when I came to Australia, I couldn't speak a word of English. Uh, So I was was thrown into preschool at the time, kind of just had to pick up the English as I went. But it, it took some time for me to be able to adapt. I looked very different. I sounded different. I was dressed very different. Uh, I wasn't dressed the way I dress now. I was dressed like an immigrant. Um, And so, look, a lot of my schooling years were not the best for me. So, I mean, I experienced a lot of bullying because I was different. And, you know, that continued from primary school into high school. For high school, I went to a very uh, prestigious private school, but it was a very Caucasian school. and so me being brown skin I kind of stood out like a sore thumb and having the name that I do a lot of people didn't understand my culture or my background and so you know a lot of that bullying came from really being misunderstood and and being different so that explains my background explains my family but what's happened between then and now has been incredible you know I've, I've been on a journey.
0: Let's go back to the bullying. When did it start? Talk to me about when it started and what was it? Because, you know, people, you, you know this. We've talked about this, okay? People think bullying is, is, are very, is very different things. What was bullying for you? And did your parents know what was going on? How were you feeling? Did you isolate? Did you get angry? Let's chat about that for a second.
1: I actually didn't let anyone know to the extent that it was going on. Um, in primary school, what bullying looked like for me was was just a lot of name calling, you know, being pushed around. You know, I had a strange name to a lot of people uh, right. and a lot of people didn't know what that meant. It meant um, being the last kid picked in sports and the stereotypical stuff that you'd see in, in movies or TV. It really got pretty sinister when I hit high school and it started getting violent and abusive. And wow. um, a lot of that was you know, uh, physical combined with a lot of verbal bullying. Um, So it was just a typical case of people that were, and I I didn't understand that at the time, I do now, you know, people that were insecure at the time and, you know, taking out a lot of those insecurities on me and feeling a lot more confident and comfortable with themselves as a result of doing that. Um, And so I was that person.
0: I always say hurt people, hurt people. and That's right. And it's right. really, um, and it's not till later to you understand that a little bit better. And it doesn't feel any better. Oh, great! You know, I'm a hurt people, hurt people, and you're like, awesome. You know, that what do I do with that now?
1: I know. And look, um, the difficult thing at the time is. I mean, when you're in high school, you're still trying to figure yourself out. You're still trying to figure out where exactly in this big, wide world you sit. You know, how do I fit into this world? Um, What am I all about? What do I stand for? And so when you're receiving that at that time, it leads to a lot of conflict and a lot of confusion. Uh, For me, that led to zero confidence, very low self-esteem, a very low opinion of myself. And so, yeah, it was very much a part of my life that I... I'm comfortable not going through again, of course. but I'm, I'm very pleased that it did occur because it led me on a very different journey that put me in a position that I am today, where I get to speak to people about bullying, where I get to speak to people about building confidence, about believing in themselves um, and all of that good stuff. Uh, and so it was a part of my life that had to happen. And I don't dwell on the pain. I just um, really dwell on the experience. And I try and teach people about the importance of having not necessarily the same experiences, but hardships. You know, hardships really build character, and and that's very important for people to realize.
0: So when you were, and obviously when you were going through this and, and, and to where you are today, which we'll talk about later on in this segment, I'm brand new to this. You know, I've only been doing it about a year and a half or so. I ran a management consulting firm. My first client in 2002 was Telstra in Australia, so I spent a ton of time there. But I management consulting firm, that's what I did. I did consulting for my entire life. Wrote huge deals, was a part of 11 global startups, um, wrote over $1.5 billion in, in business. And I was a very, very strong strong leader, meaning I led teams. I led global teams. Yep. Online is very different. And you have beyond cracked this code. So when I watch you, and, I, and, and I've done, I've, I've really done a lot. Um, You were one of the very first people that I started watching online. You're charismatic. You are connected. You are concerned. When you look at somebody, you don't look through them. You look at them. You pull them out to speak to you. I watched probably 20 clips. I, I pay very close attention to your to your content. What got you here? W- what what made you this person that is so heavily influential, but so incredibly humble?
1: Uh, thank you, first of all. That's very, very kind of you. For me, I'm so grateful to be in a position that I am. And that gratitude doesn't ever leave me. Um, and so whenever I have a an an interview like this or I'm being interviewed on a different podcast or I'm hosting an event or I'm meeting with um, the elites. I'm always humble. I'm always grateful because I'm just happy to be in that position. My understanding of social media actually came about by experimenting. So I mean, I experimented a lot in the beginning. I wasn't a expert content creator. I wasn't someone that was um, incredible on camera, all of those things I had to learn the hard way by sucking first. <laughs> you know? and, and I, Embrace I did suck. the suck. <laughs> yeah, I did definitely suck initially. But what I really lent on was what I knew best. And what I knew best was me, was my stories, was my experiences. And coming from um, that pain, that struggle, and some of the things that I went through, it was very, very easy for me to talk about it authentically and with conviction. And what I found out very early on along the way is a lot of people don't talk openly about this stuff. Yes. You know, like you said, social media is very different. Everyone shows their highlight reel. They show how incredible and amazing they are. <laughs> but, but rarely do people talk about the actual climb as opposed to the destination. And the climb is far more important. People want to know how you got to where you got to. People want to know what you experienced as a human being, the emotions, the hardships, how you got over them. And there are a lot of the things that I actually focus on as opposed to focusing on a destination and where I am now. And I found along the way that a lot of people when I spoke about my values and my beliefs, I found a lot of people that believed the same things that I believed. And from there you build a community one person at a time and and before I knew it, I'd built an audience of a million plus followers. And you know, a lot of them really do engage with me and, and are inspired by what I do and, and aspire to do something similar to me. But I'm still incredibly grateful for every single person that is part of that journey. So yeah, that to me, it's it's the gratitude that allows me to keep humble and the fact that I know all of this can disappear tomorrow. So
0: <laughs> I am so pleased that you said that and that I feel so connected to you when you say that because I feel as though these kind of, you know, I'm going to air quote influencers, these Instagram influencers, these younger influencers, as they keep building and they keep building, they forget about the connection. They forget yeah. about this really could all go away tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I feel like gratitude is so sparingly used. How do you deal, or I shouldn't even say how do you deal? Do you have haters? Do you have people that are rude and mean and say horrible things to you online? And if so, what do you, how do you handle it?
1: Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, every time I put out a post, there's at least one or two people that say something seriously offensive. Oh. Um, and I've I've learned to manage it now. Initially, probably in my first year of doing this social media thing, I was like why are they saying that? Like, what did I do to deserve that? (laughs) You know, should I have a chat to them and, and, and understand what they're all about. And now it's just, you know, it's just, it's so transparent, you know, that some people do it out of uh, jealousy or envy. Some people do it because they simply do not like me as a person. And I get that, you know, some people you're not going to like for the sake of, you know, not liking them. Some people are not going to like me for a number of reasons that they probably wouldn't even say publicly, but, There's many reasons for people to say something either offensive or rude or troll. And look, I I definitely receive a couple of those every single time I post something or every single time I'm active or public. Um, But majority of it is incredibly positive and just some of the most beautiful, encouraging comments. In terms of how I respond to the negative stuff, look, I've learned now to respond with kindness and respectfully, yeah. as much as there is a part of me that just wants to, you know, that wants to, wants to right. go in there and tell them exactly what's on my mind. And I've done that before. And it's never, ever worth it. And I always regret it. So I always respond with even if they say something truly offensive, I'll respond with, uh, thank you for your kind words, have an incredible day. That's it.
0: Right. Which and just nine times
1: out of 10, I'll pisses them
0: it. off more, which just pisses them off more.
1: Oh, yeah. Like they'll <laughs> either come back and be even more offensive or rude, or they'll feel terrible about what they wrote. And I'll find that they deleted the comment, you know? So, um, oh, interesting. I don't, I don't take it seriously. Some people take it even further and send me a really abusive message uh, via direct message. Oh, <laughs> you know, great. like they they really <laughs> want to be heard, but it's all part of the show. It's all part of the game. If if I'm going to be opinionated, I know there are going to be people that disagree with me. And I'm actually really cool with people that have a different opinion. I'm fine with that. If you have a different opinion and you show that different opinion, I'm completely okay with that. What I don't necessarily like people that publicly offensive, and it could be, it could be in a form of discrimination or racism or, or a number of different things that I don't usually tolerate, and if it's, if it's to the point where I feel that my audience will get offended, I've got no issue with deleting the comments and blocking that person. You know, life is too short.
0: So when you go up to public speak, who are you speaking to? Talk to me about your audience. Talk to me about what makes you say yes. What drives you? What gives you the energy to be this amazing influencer, this kind, brilliant person who's so willing to lend a helping hand to others?
1: I'm speaking to to the me of 15, 20 years ago. Mm. And and every time I think about that kid, um, it just breaks my heart. And I wish I had the confidence back then that I do now. I didn't. Um, I wish I could you know, say things correctly back then as I do now, I didn't have the ability to do that. Um, So I'm speaking to that person. And every time I speak directly to that person, I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my gut. And so when I'm talking about solutions, about ways that we can move forward, about how you can really start to reach your potential and build the confidence and courage you need to be your best self, you know, I'm speaking from a very, very real place Um, and that's how I, that's how I get across to a lot of the people that I meet.
0: What's your business? Talk to me about what is your revenue model and just being an influencer. I get that, but you do so much more. Talk yeah. to me about that.
1: I've got many different revenue streams. So I've got a revenue stream as an ambassador for a number of different businesses that I believe in. I've got a revenue stream as being an influencer for a number of organizations and and helping them represent what they do. I have a revenue stream as a social media consultant and I work with a lot of high net worth individuals, elites, very sophisticated CEOs, royal families, incredibly gifted speakers. And a lot of them actually have incredible influence offline. I mean, offline they have, you know, they're incredibly confident, very well-spoken. They have an audience of people that love what they do, but they struggle to translate that influence and that visibility online. And so that's what I help them do.
0: So how long have you been doing this type of specific work, this type of business work? How long have you been doing it?
1: Um, Look, I actually got into it because I had people approach me initially while I was, you know, doing other work previously. And I've been doing this now probably for the last two years. And for the last 18 months, I've been working with a specific clientele.
0: Great. How do you translate? And I'm asking this more from a personal question, okay? Because yep. I, I am one of those people who you know, have access to VCs and boards and capital and all this. But online, it doesn't translate well. Online, you, right. know, you would think that somebody's credibility and the years of, you know, 20 years of experience would mean something. But so many people are so caught on what you've done online. How do you translate those amazing humans, like you said, those leaders, those very gifted individuals, how do you translate their non-online persona to be online?
1: For the people that I work with, it's actually relatively easy because they have those stories. And so for me, it's just all about storytelling. It's really pulling out some of the incredible achievements that they've made in real life. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like they've, they've actually done it. They've got that experience. They've got that credibility there. It's just a matter of articulating that and telling that story. And so for them, it's really just, and you'll be surprised, regardless of how... Amazing, some of these individuals are, and how incredible some of the things that they've achieved are. A lot of them uh, are not necessarily confident of putting that out there. Yeah. Some of them are not even confident being on camera. You know, like they they lead teams of thousands of people as multinational CEOs. Yes. That you put a camera in front of them and they kind of shy away, which I found very interesting. Um, so one is getting them very comfortable telling their story getting them very comfortable being the same person that they are, the same influential person offline, online, and being able to articulate that well via camera. And there's nothing natural or organic about being on camera, (laughs) you know? Like it's, and you would know, it's something that you have to get used to. Like to be able to articulate yourself in the same way that you do offline, actually requires you to learn a new skill set, which is strange. Several,
0: several new, several new skill sets. It to have to be, it's when I started this, Ahmed, when I started this, people looked at me and they thought I was completely crazy. They were like, what are you talking about? You have a problem presenting. I'm like, I'm looking at a black camera. That's like, there's nothing to connect with. Like, I don't want to, I feel like I'm talking to no one because I'm talking to everyone. And I would, I would just, it would be right here. And I'd be like, and everybody (laughs) would just start laughing. They're like, that's super influential, Stephanie. I'm like, ah. I'd forget my lines. I'd forget what I was talking about. It was terrible. I
1: I still have, and like I'm presenting all the time now. It's what I do. And I still have moments where, you know, you're just not feeling it because you truly can't connect with someone. Yes. It's it's like presenting at a virtual event. It's never going to be quite the same because you don't have that live audience there to speak to and to to
0: get that. Right. To feel their energy, to feel their presence, to see what they're, you know, are they looking at their phone? Are they scrolling? Are they like leaning forward? You just don't have that. So I'm so glad. You said that. Yeah. When do you say no?
1: Whenever something is not aligned with any of my values, um, and I'm very clear on what those values are. So, my values are kindness, optimism, growth, integrity, and respect. And if I'm looking at a potential client, anything from a potential client to a promoter um, to, you know, uh, someone that wants to work with me or someone that wants to ask for my advice, whatever it might be. If they're not in alignment with any of those values, then I'll say no. And I've learned that from experience the hard way.
0: So I find that interesting. And let me tell you very quickly, um, I was recently on a a panel, a very, very well-known magazine, very well-known, and they asked me to come on and speak about executive coaching, business consulting. And so they asked me a question. They said, what are some ways that you can choose a good executive coach? How How do you understand that? And I didn't even think about it. And you know what I said? I said, your coach, your leader, the person who's coaching you has to, number one, have already been where you want to be. Number two, easily and readily available to talk about all of their failures, not just their upward trajectory, but their pitfalls as well. And then three, there has to be chemistry. You have to drill your coach. Like you have to really ask them hard questions. This is not an attaboy. This is not a, a therapy session. This is really measurements of success. If you are looking for vague results, you will have vague goals. We don't do anything vague. I don't know that I will be invited back. They were very disappointed with what I said, and they told me we shouldn't talk about failures here at X Magazine. You're kidding. Oh, no. They were very upset. They wanted me to highlight in an insane business vernacular all of my high points in my life when I had closed deals, when I had been promoted in six weeks. But I wanted to talk about the time I lost $25,000 in 10 seconds. I wanted to talk about if it happens to me, who's very worldly and who's very well-known in the business world, it can darn sure happen to you. Here's some ways that you want to protect yourself. They didn't like that. Has that yes, ever happened I'm, to I'm you? I'm blown
1: away by that. I know that what people want to hear is the climb. That's all the stuff they want to hear. People don't need advice when they're doing well. You know, They yes. need advice when they're struggling. They need yes. advice when they're experiencing something they've never experienced. And that's where people that have already traveled down that road Need to give those directions. Um, right. So I'm, I'm blown away by that. But I think where we can add value the most, where any leader can add the most value, is talking about those tough times and how they navigated through that.
0: Right. That's why and, we and, with the, that's, and so that was my thing. It's like, you know, people, a lot of people, times people don't get coaches or consultants because they're like, oh gosh, the change is going to be massive. I'm not, I don't think I can do all of these huge, heavy hitting things. Small yeah. incremental shifts, tiny pivots. get you into another trajectory but just hanging on that long and having somebody who's already maybe been there and done that like you is an incredible asset so i want to talk about i believe that you have over a million followers on linkedin and you were named i like to call it international man of mystery i know that that was not the title but that's my (laughs) title for you today
1: yeah it's it's a very james bondy title isn't it
0: right it's super cool what does it mean (laughs)
1: Yeah. So International Man of Empowerment was awarded to me by uh, Think Network. And Think Network is the largest empowerment platform in Europe. So I was very grateful to receive that award. And that was based on essentially my activity, both online and offline. Uh, so the fact that I do what I do online in terms of inspiring and empowering, and encouraging people in the way that I do. Um, and also what I do offline in terms of speaking and presenting and hosting in the way that I do that also. So Yeah, it was an incredible award, and it does definitely sound like international man of mystery.
0: I like it. I'm keeping my title, not yours. (laughs) 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 Tell me about you getting burned out. I know for me answering every post, I know for me going in and trying to engage and really, really show up and really be present while still operating a global business It's taxing. It's emotional, especially if you're real, if you're authentic and you're truthful and you're really trying to hear people. What happens when you get burned out and how do you fill back up?
1: I get burnt out over a long period of time. And initially I used to just ignore it until I just physically and mentally couldn't do anything, uh, which is the absolute worst thing that you can do because it takes a very long time to recover and get back to that peak level again. Um, I realized very early on that if I wanted to do something big on social media and if I really wanted to make an impact and continue building the momentum that I was building, that I needed to invest hours every single day. Like, there's just, there's just no other way to do it. Hours in terms of creating content, hours engaging on other people's content, hours just being active online and understanding, you know, the trends, what's going on, and, and putting myself out there. And I did that for... The first year, in fact, the first year I might I might have spent maybe let's say four to five hours every single evening because I was still working an eight am to 6 pm day. And so I would work an 8 am to 6 pm day, uh, go home, do the family thing, you know, put on a pair of shorts, play with my kids. Um, and then from let's say maybe eight pm onwards, let's say eight to about twelve or one. I would do the social media thing. And I did that every single day. And after about, let's say nine to 12 months, everything just kind of shut down. Um, I didn't want to look at my, my phone, like I couldn't handle receiving a phone call or a text. Um, I definitely didn't want to look at social media because the notifications at that point made me anxious. And I had to take about two weeks off and just go into nature, which is my way of kind of um, refreshing and build myself back up. And so for me, I know now what those signs are. And I actually just spoke about this recently on one of my live shows because I was speaking again from experience. Um, you know, the 10 signs of being burnt out. And I spoke to some of those signs and I know now when I need to pause and stop and reassess. And I also know now that if i need help i'll reach out to it um so i have a team that you know helps me with my social media helps me either create content or engage on content and there's nothing wrong with that and that helps me maintain the presence that i do and put myself out there the way I do.
0: So I wanna ask you a nitty gritty question and this is, everybody can stop listening because this is 100% just for me. Aha. Whenever you're creating content, whenever, because your content is really good, I'm very connected to it. It's very real, it's super raw. You're You can tell you're not trying to get likes, you're not trying to get shares, you're just yeah. saying this is my experience, okay? How do you, do you sit down? Like, does something happen to you, Ahmed? Do you sit down and go, oh, this just happened. I'm going to write about it. Or do you sit down on a Friday and have white noise and go, hey, what has my week been like? How do you do it?
1: I can never sit down and write content. And if I did, it'd be very telling. And look, I, I've definitely put out pieces of content that I put out uh, last minute in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, what kind of story I'm going to tell because there wasn't as much thought behind it as, as I'd like there to be. For me, I need to be inspired. And yes. I get inspired at the most random moments. And the most annoying thing for me, it's usually about 10 minutes into me putting my head on the pillow that I think of something amazing or I'm like, I have to tell that story. Or I, yeah, I have to tell it this way. Um, or I have to put out a piece of content like this. And then I'm forced to get up and grab my phone and write it in a notes section.
0: Oh, um, And the
1: very next day, I'll pick up my phone and look at what I've written. And sometimes it's complete trash. <laughs> and, and I realized I might have been half asleep writing nonsense. And other times, it's just so real. And that's when I know I've got it. When I, when I can read it back and I go, oh, wow. I mean, that's real.
0: So but when so I that... can get
1: that reaction from myself, I know right. that... It'll impact my audience.
0: So, so that is what I want these listeners to understand. So the, for me, it, it's not, I have to be inspired. I have to feel it. Like I have yeah. to really feel it. And you could be my brother from another mother, but that's another podcast. Cause that's exactly <laughs> whenever I hear, that's what I, I get up and I'm walking through the wood floors, you know, creaking and I voice note, I voice oh, them. Awesome.
1: Yeah, And I yeah. and I
0: basically write this, you know, 800, 900 kind of words. And then yeah. the next day I check it and I'm like, how do I feel? And sometimes I'm like, like you said, well, yeah. well, did I drink before bed? Like, what was I, what was going on for me? Or I'm You're like, wow, like, well, you know that's what?
1: That's terrible idea. What you <laughs> <art> <laughs> this is
0: there? a bad- idea. The only worse idea is tagging Ahmed in that. <laughs> I'm going to do that next. But yeah, I just think it had to be really real for me. So I was having my content team, they were asking me for stories and I was like, you guys, it's the pandemic. Like I haven't really been super inspired. And I realized I needed to do more. I realized I needed to talk to more people. I realized I needed to read more. I right. needed to kind of get other people's perspectives. And then it just really started flowing again. So I was really interested to see how you, you know, how you did it.
1: That's amazing that we have similar approaches. I don't understand how people can just sit down and write it. There are some people that can. But I mean, if you really want to tap into something that is going to be impactful and compelling, it needs to come from a different place, you know. It needs to either come from a a memory that you've had, um, mm-hmm. a moment in your life that really right. that really struck you to your core, or you're really tapping into how people feel and and that requires thoughts and look and sometimes it might come at a at a moment where i'm actually watching a movie and a scene comes on where it just reminds me of either a previous memory or it makes me think of some other creative way that i can approach my content but either way i do have to be inspired so yeah we're very similar
0: so I, that for me was so much easier during with before the pandemic, because I was traveling so much, I was traveling to all my client sites. So, you know, I would get on an airplane and I would see a new couple, you know, tr- struggling with a baby that was screaming their head off and people in first right. class, just being so frustrated. And I would talk yeah. about kindness and compassion and, and, you know, what we can do to help. And it was so easy for me as I was traveling. I also had a lot of space, meaning mental space, so I could write freely and then, and then come back and look at it. And yep. so I love that you did that because I'm always trying to check myself to go, does everybody have to be inspired or is everybody a better writer or kind of where are people? For me, my posts have to be honest and from my heart. They have to be.
1: Yeah. And look, I actually, I mean, sometimes, like I mentioned, I'll put out a post every now and then that was perhaps rushed or I didn't put as, I didn't put as much thought into it. And I always feel like crap having to put it out afterwards. I'm just like, you know, that, and I don't want to be one of those people. So, I mean... Right. Uh, I, I always have this thing within me that I just have to give it. I have to give it everything. And when I say everything, I don't just mean energy. I'm talking about everything. Like if it requires me to be yeah. vulnerable to, to get the message across, I'll be vulnerable. If it requires me to perhaps you know look weak by sharing some emotions, I'll do that. I could care less. As long as I know that some people are going to benefit from it, I have to give it everything, whatever that means. And if it's in writing or if it's in video, I'll do that.
0: Incredible. Talk to me about the LinkedIn TV program. I have a few questions about this. Again, new, new to social media. You know, everybody, I I keep seeing, I do this influencers, not you because you really, you're the international man of mystery, but other influencers. I keep seeing them get attacked for adding personal things or non-professional things on LinkedIn. But I watch your shows and you're freaking funny. You're not trying to be all buttoned up, and I mean, sometimes you're not funny, but most of the time, you're pretty darn funny, and you're just connected. Do you get crap for it for it not being so overly buttoned up and professional? What's the feedback?
1: Um, no, the feedback's been positive, um, which is which is great. And there are some people that, of course, won't resonate with it, but the feedback's been very refreshing. And look, it was just a show that we started because of the pandemic, you know, because um, I'm also the ambassador for success resources, and I present and host for them as well. And, you know, overnight, we went from hosting 500 events to zero. Yeah, (laughs) you know, what happens to a live event company during a pandemic, nothing, no events take place. And so we had to quickly, you know, switch and transition into the virtual space. And that meant, also doing live TV and adapting to the live scenario on social media. And so we started what we called Level Up TV, which, you know, we're all about leveling up and helping people level up in life, in business, in influence, and so that's what we called it. And every week we just started talking about a topic that hopefully helps a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, employees just level up in one of those areas. But I never wanted to make it a lecture or a lesson. So myself and Michael Lane, uh, my co-host and managing director of SR, we just get on and talk about, again, things that are real for us, and we very much talk about the climb, uh, and we very much talk about ways people can get past a, a lot of these hardships and moments. Sometimes, some episodes, we just eat you know, the hottest corn chip in the world, you know? So so we'll mix it up and make it as entertaining as possible. And we're happy to put ourselves through pain for our audience's you know, entertainment.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about connecting with the audience because you spend a ton of time in front of the camera. And I swear, I mean, this is super creepy and weird, but hear me out. Like, I'm always watching you to go, is he looking at something? Is he looking at a teleprompter? Is he looking? You're just so like composed and put together. But the craziest thing about you is like, you're connected. I feel like we're having a conversation and I'm constantly like turning around, like looking and (laughs) moving around going, what is somebody standing behind that camera? And how does he get so good? Like, what is going on for him? So tell me how you do this. How do you train? How do you talk to people about being vulnerable and sharing and, and really getting intimate? You're so detailed and you're so connected. Talk to me about people that are just starting out. How do they How do they do this?
1: Thank you. And look, I, I appreciate you saying that because it actually wasn't easy for me to learn. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I started off being one of the most shy and awkward people you would ever come across. I couldn't even look people in the eyes. That's how shy and awkward I was. And so for me, that let's say 10, 15 year journey between then and now was literally learning how to speak, learning how to be confident, learning how to be courageous and starting from the absolute basics. And once I felt I mastered the basics and I can talk to people, (laughs) you know, I'm literally talking about the basics and I can look people in the eyes, I then took it a step further. And that step further for me was, okay, well, how can I now learn to speak publicly? And I sought about a way to do that. I started volunteering for a friend's wedding, you know, to MC a friend's wedding. Or I would volunteer to do a sales presentation when I was in the sales space. And all of these things just terrified me to death. But I knew every single time I did them, I would actually get better. And I would grow through it. Um, I then started taking it even more seriously where, and you would be at this space now where you're constantly on stage, you're constantly in front of camera, you're doing content, you become very aware that you are in that space and you start to you know, uh, really analyze your mannerisms and the way you speak and the way you would say a certain word or a certain sentence, um, what kind of look you would give when you say something, what kind of actions you use with your with your hands. Um, I went through a process where I analyzed all of that and probably over about two or three years, everything from just recording it, recording something myself and watching it back and improving on that one word or improving on that one mannerism or the way I articulated a certain sentence. And over the course of years, I just uh, not perfected it, but learned to master it as well as I could. Um, And so what you see now, whenever you see me on on stage or on video or on a piece of content, you know, that that is me after having put in a lot of practice to master that craft. Um, And so, you know, when I speak to any of my clients or anyone that's interested, I never come off as someone that is naturally gifted at speaking or presenting because I'm not. But I do believe that anyone can learn if they're willing to put as much time and effort into it as I have. And that's the only reason that, you know, I come across polished the way I do.
0: Again, while I appreciate polished, it's next level for you. It's connected. It's engaged. It's not it's not canned. And and that's important for me because obviously I speak all over the world. I I I see speakers, I see media coaches, I see I see the training. It's different. It's different. It's the way you connect. It's the way you think about the question. It's your pause. It's your tonality. It's your tenor. It's your presence whenever you... I've seen you talk to young ones. I've seen you talk to old ones. Those things change. Your body language changes a lot when, you, when you're when you being recorded. Do you look back on it? Do you go back and look at how you came across or how you looked?
1: I used to. um, I used to all the time while I was still trying to learn how I can better improve. And, you know, initially I would cringe. And then I got to the stage where it was almost just like research where I'd go, okay, yeah, I can definitely improve on that. Now I rarely do. You know, so now I don't want to sound arrogant at this at all, (laughs) but, but now if I'm recording a piece of content, I know if I nailed it or I know if I need to do it again. And that's purely just out of experience. And a lot of times I know that would have sucked and I have to do it again. But I'll also know now just based on the experience I've had and all the practice that I've done, how that's going to look and how that's going to come across on camera. So, yeah, to answer your question, no, I don't look back now, but I definitely used to.
0: So do you right now thinking about it and thinking about as you've perfected in the last couple of years, have you like – thinking about it right now, do you look back on an event and go, man, I was really in a bad spot at that time? Or you know what? I really sucked at that time. Do you have those? Oh,
1: yeah. I'll share something with you and your audience that is probably going to make you laugh. But I used to be a very amateur rapper when (laughs) when I was in my early 20s. I was probably about 19, 20, 21, where I was a hip hop artist in Sydney and a not very good one. Um, I probably thought I was pretty good at the time, but I was I was writing my own songs. I was uh, recording mixtapes. I was performing on stage at a lot of big Sydney clubs. And I remember my – and, again, that was something that I did to kind of just help me jump out of my comfort zone and learn. But I remember my worst moment, and, you know, every time I think about how difficult it might, it might be on stage or – Getting those butterflies, I always look back to that moment, and I go, yeah, it's never going to be as bad as that. So I remember I was actually due to perform at a club one night, and it was one of the songs that I'd written previously and um, and recorded um, recently. And uh, I had some backup dancers that I um, had with me, and, and we choreographed something and we rehearsed. And we had it nailed down pat in the rehearsal. And anyway, it came time to perform at the club. And the thing about performing at a club is you never quite know exactly what time you're going to be up because it's always dependent on crowd and when's when everyone's enjoying themselves and when a dance floor is packed. And so you might think you're going to perform at 10, 10 p.m. And they might then put you on a 1 a.m., you know, or 2 a.m. So it's, it's never quite when you realize. So anyway, it actually got so late into the night that my backup dancers had to leave to go to another gig. And so everything that I choreographed with them, um, in terms of my timing, in terms of the song, was completely then out of the window. And about 10 minutes after they left, they then asked me on stage and I absolutely bombed. Like it was the worst performance I'd ever ever given and ever will give. And for the people that have a fear of public speaking, this is what they fear, like I experienced it. So I finished singing or rapping and the music turned off. And at a time when people should applaud, it went absolutely silent. Like, and I'm talking a club, right? Where people are generally in a decent mood and ready to be vocal. I could hear crickets. And um, I was looking around and as I would make contact with people, people would look (gasps) down (laughs) like they'd be too, that was so embarrassed for me. You know, that feeling. And I literally had to do a walk of shame off the stage and I walked straight out the club. It was the worst feeling. And from that point on, I was like, you know what? Nothing I do could probably be as embarrassing as that. So that's also one of the reasons that I can be a little bit more confident in the way I present and, and getting up on stage.
0: So can you give us a little rap sample?
1: Can you? No. no I can't. <laughs> You're like, that's another <laughs> I might podcast. Song, but, um, you know, I've put up some photos on social media and it's so cringe. Like, I, I really thought I was so cool in the way that I dressed and the way I had my hair and it's right. seriously cringe.
0: You know what's amazing though? You know, the best thing for me is thank God there was an Instagram back then when we were doing this. <laughs> I'm I mean, so grateful for that. Can you oh, imagine man. like the stuff that we did or when we thought we looked yeah. super cool with like the the uh overalls with like one thing down and the I mean, just hor like all bad. I just oh, yeah. there was a
1: moment there where I idolized, you know, Tupac and I was dressing like a gangster and <laughs> like the <theater>. yeah, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bandana, the whole lot. Like I even, I remember being like 18 and I didn't want to get a nose ring. And so I got one of those magnet nose rings where you put a magnet on the other side. That's (laughs) awesome. So cringe, you know. Oh man, I can't wait
0: for you to start posting again. I got so much content. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be engaging. I'm going to be like, Tupac, let's do this. Okay, so... (laughs) So how many different suit jackets do you have?
1: Yeah, I love my suit jackets. So I love my blazers, my... I think you guys call them sport jackets. Do you call them sport jackets?
0: Yes, yes,
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've got a whole wardrobe full of them. I think I've got about eight or nine, and they're all different colors, different textures, and and everything like that. But, um, yeah, it's kind of my thing. And I love pocket squares. So I've got... Every time I travel, I like buy about, you know, four or five pocket squares. So I've got about 60 or 70 pocket squares. I have about 20 to 30 bottles of cologne. I've just Your wife
0: never knows who she's hanging out with. She just has no idea. <laughs> she's just like, I'm very confused, but this is cool. Like, we're keeping it spicy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. Um, I, I love that. Look, I, I love my fashion. I, I think people should take pride in the way they, they dress and appear, and I think it's uh, – a big reflection on how you feel as well. So so I want to
0: talk about your business values and I know you've repeated them. You said kindness, integrity, optimism, growth. You are so specific and you are so specific to never, ever compromise. You've worked with some huge names, giant names, okay? First of all, who was the one client that you have learned the most from so far?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, recently I've been working with the royal family in the UAE and I have to say, I was blown away by how humble and kind they were. Um, And I'm not going to say that I didn't expect it, but if I didn't receive that reaction, I wouldn't have been upset. But the fact that they were so incredibly accommodating and humble and generous, considering their status and who they are and the fact that they didn't need to be, um, just really reinforced in me some of those values. Um, And so I'm very grateful to be able to work with them. I'm now the ambassador for... Uh, one of the royal officers uh, in the UAE, and I'm, yeah, I'm just so pleased to be working with them. But uh, the lesson that they taught me is that it doesn't matter how big you are, doesn't matter how wealthy you are, uh, there is always time for Anybody else doesn't matter if they're the little people or not, but there is always time for anybody else to potentially be inspired or impacted.
0: Ahmad, as you elevate, do you ever struggle to stay true to yourself as you continue to elevate with this massive influence that you have over people as being an incredible daddy and a husband? You're evolving. Do you ever struggle to stay close to your core values? with all the people that are approaching you now?
1: I do sometimes. And look, I'm very lucky to have a wife that is happy to, to tell me exactly what I need to hear.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love and it. And she does
1: it. Sometimes it's so direct that she's like,
0: oh. Yeah, you, you love me, right? You, you love me. Don't forget you love me.
1: <laughs> if she has ever sees me swaying from the values that she knows I have, or perhaps presenting myself in a way that is not truly me, Uh, She'll tell me. And look, sometimes it does happen. And sometimes I need to be checked and I'm I'm more than happy to be checked. Um, So to answer your question, yes. But the more I get older and the more I understand myself, the easier for me it is to just, you know, continue on that path of just staying within my values as opposed to drifting in and out through them.
0: I think as we get older, we become so comfortable with who we are that we're happy to raise our hand and say, we blew it. Big mistake. Sorry, you know what? Let me Show me another way. Or you know what? I really blew it there. That's something that so many leaders struggle with. Um, They believe they have to always know the answer. They believe they have to articulate it beautifully. They believe that they have to be constantly on. I always say bad news doesn't get better with time, but connection stays the same forever. So if you're connected. I love that. And you really are focusing on your audience and making yourself a better man, a better leader, a better human, which you do and you show everybody what you're doing. I don't think there's any you know greater gift than that. And you've worked with some greats. I mean, you've worked with Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk and Sir Richard Branson. What is it like working with them?
1: Incredible. I am where I am now because of Tony Robbins. Um, so, I mean, the moments that made me want to actually be a better person and get out of this you know, crazy ball of insecurity that I was in, um, was that my boss, uh, when I was about 18 or 19, I was working at a pizza place and I was, I was washing dishes and making gourmet pizzas. And they were pretty good pizzas, I must say.
0: So between wrapping <laughs> and pizza, I know where I'm staying when I come to Australia. <laughs> I got I, I this. A, I
1: was a pizza wrapper. Yeah, that's I right. I like
0: it, like it.
1: Um, good times, I know. Um, but my boss actually gifted me a 24 disc CD set That was Tony Robbins' CD set. And it was called Personal Power 2. And it was one of his early ones where um, he still looks like an accountant and his name was Anthony Robbins, right? Oh, okay. But I I listened to one of those CDs or the first CD, and it just changed everything for me. I'd never heard of self-improvement or personal development before. It was very new to me. I knew it was something that I needed. And as soon as I heard that voice, I was like, there's something here. Um, And you know that voice that I'm talking about. Like, he just speaks with so much... Like freaking passion. It's just, I've never seen and heard anything like it. And uh, that changed everything for me. So I then, like I said, went on this journey of building confidence and courage. And so for me, 15 years later, to be uh, in a business that partners with Tony Robbins and get to present and speak at events that Tony Robbins is speaking at. Like, I can't even describe that in words. Like, it feels like I've gone full circle. So of course, Tony Robbins, I've learned a huge amount from. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, in my opinion, is the best in terms of social media and, and how he presents himself on social media. And he's actually one of those people that taught me that I can be super real. I can be super vulnerable. I can just be my complete self. And if people don't like it, they're not my people, you know, right. so someone, he gave me that confidence. Richard Branson. I mean, I, I could go through a whole list of things that I learned from all these people, but I will say that I'm just so grateful to be surrounded by these incredible people. And it's the reason that I'm still inspired to continue to be better. Because when I see all these people, I'm still a student, you know, when I'm around these people, I'm still... You know, to me, I'm still that 19 year old kid that's a sponge and wanting to learn and absorb all these new tools and techniques. Uh, so it's just incredible. I, I feel like I'm in the right place in my life right now. I love love performing, um, however that looks, and if that except means for on my podcast person- with
0: rapping, except for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. But- so in the past, I thought that rapping was it. I had to learn that lesson the hard way.
0: Gosh, what? don't try and give me one of your lessons. <laughs>
1: So I was like, yeah, I do like being on stage. Maybe not rapping on stage,
0: though. (laughs) You're like, yeah, let's move forward on
1: this. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move straight past that memory. And uh, yeah.
0: So have you failed?
1: Many times. Many, many times. I've failed and been rejected more times than I can imagine. Rejected by jobs, rejected by women, um, rejected by experiences. I have failed at... Nearly everything that I am good at now, I have failed at multiple times. Uh, and like I said before, like that rapping experience, in a really bad way, you know, and often in a really bad, embarrassing way, but they're often the best ways to learn from. So I'm very comfortable with failure. And I know now that anything that I can potentially fail at, I can also grow through as well. So I'm not, I'm not adverse to putting myself in a position where I can fail, even if there's a large... Chance of me failing at it, because what I'll gain from that is is just far more. So um, I'm cool with failure.
0: What's next for you in the next five years? In the next five years, what do you see yourself doing and growing?
1: Well, yeah, you answered it with the last part of your sentence. I definitely want to still be growing. I want to look back on the uh, the person that I am today five years prior and say, "Wow, I can't believe how much I've grown." And I definitely want to keep doing that throughout my life. I want to be able to truly impact more people practically. Uh, Mm. And what I mean by practically is I want to set up a lot of different foundations and organizations and be part of different groups that can practically help people in the ways that I talk about. And that's why I'm now starting to become an ambassador for a lot of not-for-profits that genuinely help people with a lot of the resources and tools and courses and platforms that they have. Uh, So, for example, I'm, I'm an ambassador for Bully Zero, and they're Australia's leading bullying prevention platform, and what they do is amazing. You know, it's not just about speaking to people that have been bullied. They also provide resources and tools for the bullies. They provide resources and tools for bystanders, because bystanders, believe it or not, have the largest part to play in those scenarios. You know, standing around and doing nothing is not the way we should respond to those situations. And so... For me, I want to play a very large practical role in helping people, not only through bullying, but helping them build confidence and courage to actually just uh, try and achieve something that they wouldn't have thought was possible. Um, Just like I have. If you were to tell me 15 years ago that I'd be doing the stuff that I'm doing now, I would tell you you're absolutely insane. It just wasn't even on the cards. And that's because I actually took the time to build that confidence and courage and it can be a practical process.
0: What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: Um, It's probably gonna be a little bit controversial in terms of where it comes from, but I come from a background and a culture and a community that doesn't take risks um, and doesn't do things outside of the norm. And so a lot of us joke around that in my culture and community. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the, the Middle Eastern culture. Parents want all their kids to be doctors and engineers, right? And, and if you don't fit into that mold, then, you know, you haven't really achieved much. And my parents definitely wanted that for me. And then when I started, can you imagine when I started rapping like, <laughs> man, I, I put them through a lot of stuff. Um, but I mean, I realized very early on that I was a creative person and I was very different to the average person. So their advice to me, which was to to just follow a certain path, I don't agree with. And I feel that everybody should listen to some of the messages that the that the universe puts out there, that God puts out there. And sometimes they're very very loud messages. Sometimes they're billboards, um, and we really have to take advantage of those messages and actually follow a path that we're destined to be on. Um, and so. A lot of that means listening to what it is that you gravitate towards the most. Um, What is it that really excites you? What is it that when you do it really energizes you? And everybody has those things and that is what we need to follow. So make sure that when you're following that path, you're not taking on the advice of your parents or your brother or your sister or your cousin or your friend and just follow your instincts and your intuition. And I think that's very important.
0: I may possibly, possibly have a one-up to your rap story because I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm going to tell you because I only want to see you laugh as hard as you possibly can. I'm first generation on both sides. My uh, mom is born in Portugal in the Azores and my dad is Middle Eastern. Right. And um, my grandparents came here. They migrated, and they worked really, really hard. My father was the oldest Middle Eastern son, the oldest out of all 11 of the children. Oh, wow. And my
1: dad had um, 11 brothers and sisters. I'm telling well. you,
0: there's something going on. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, I mean. something
1: more here, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we need to explore this. We need,
0: we need to explore it. So my father sadly, tragically passed away. He drowned when I was three, wow. and I was his only child. So yep. I decided to follow my heart and marry a white unemployed bodybuilder.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: immediately get pregnant and immediately get a divorce, wow. so they were i mean, I really hit it out of the park for them
1: <laughs> well I'll, t- I'll tell you what i'm um my wife is a white Australian woman, blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, love her to death. And, you know, she also obviously had a daughter from a previous marriage. So these things can be a little bit taboo in the Middle Eastern culture. But for me, it's, it's, again, it's just, it's following my heart. It's following my instincts. I've never done anything just because someone said that's how it's supposed to be done. In fact, if you tell me that, I'll likely do the opposite. And so as a child, I was very destructive and I was a massive troublemaker. And as an adult, I'm an entrepreneur. So (laughs) it kind of works out.
0: But you know what? You grow through disruption, and I think you're a perfect, amazing example of this. So this entire show is obstacles into opportunities. What is the biggest obstacle that you've gone through that you've been able to turn into an opportunity?
1: My biggest obstacle was definitely myself and having to navigate all that negative self-talk that I used to drill. I used to drill through myself and, and have it on repeat every single day. Um getting past myself lim- limiting beliefs and not only getting past it, but getting to a stage where I am so confident in what I do and what I represent. I could care less how I come across and how I'm perceived. I'm just going to be me and I'm going to do me. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually just, I know it's going to sound strange. I'm so proud of me. <laughs> For learning and and putting myself through that, so I can be the person that I am now. Because, like I said, it breaks my heart to know of that kid from ten, fifteen years ago. It just breaks my heart. Um, and what was your other question? The
0: obstacle and opportunity. I think you kind of nailed it. Because look okay. at who you are. You're the living proof of, and you just you just said it, authenticity, vulnerability you are proud of you because of every obstacle that you've overcome to get where you are. And, and you may, yep. you've said this three times in this podcast, Ahmed, you've worked really hard. This is not something where you like read a book and you're like, okay, you know, information without application is noise. You've yes. applied everything all along the way. And you're like, Oh, let me tweak this. Let me change that. You're just an incredible soul. Where wow. can my listeners find you and learn more about your life and what's next for you?
1: Thank you so much. You can find me on LinkedIn. Look, I'm I'm on social. You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse. But uh, if you send me a message on LinkedIn, I will personally respond to you. So. Uh, please feel free to reach out.
0: I've enjoyed this so much, and I know you have some incredibly special things that are coming up. Please join me again.
1: I will, 100%. Thank you and, so and, much. And for we got to find out what's going on. Like, are we related? Like, we got we got to get to the bottom of this.
0: We really do. We need to have, like, a side conversation and maybe come up with, like, a strategy session for mom and dad. Like, really, <laughs> what's going on?
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
0: All right. It's chat nice soon.
1: Bit. All the best. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y -Y S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik. M-A-L-I-K. Or visit my website at stephaniemalek.com.